Lord. Speaking of living out your faith passionately, I heard a story of a preacher one time who was called upon to do a graveside service for a member of the church. Well, he was new in the community, and so he made several wrong turns on the way to the cemetery, and he got lost. When he arrived, he was over an hour late. The people were gone. The hearse was gone. The backhoe was next to the open hole, and the workmen were sitting under a tree eating lunch. The pastor went to the open grave and found that the vault lid was already in place. Feeling extremely embarrassed and guilty, he called the workmen over and he preached an impassioned message there over the graveside, sending the deceased away in glorious riches and grand style. And as he returned to his car, he heard one of the workmen say to the other, You know, I've been putting in these septic tanks for over 20 years. I ain't never seen nothing like that. Now that's passion, isn't it? Misguided passion, but that's passion. You know, Christians, as Christians, we have every genuine reason to live out our faith with great passion. Not only because of what we have to look forward to in heaven as the choir and as Barbara were singing about just a few moments ago, but because of all the blessings that God has given to us here and now. And so I want to encourage you this morning to turn with me to 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter 4. We're working our way through this book of 1 Peter, and we're talking about the topic of living in hope. You see the little graphic on the cover of your bulletin, and uh, we've been working our way through this. Uh, this is message number 7 from chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And today we're going to talk about the hope we have in Jesus leading us to a passionate Christian living here on this earth in the days in which we are here. As we share a little bit from God's Word this morning, would you stand with me as we read together? Before we get to 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to share with you a couple of verses. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 speaks about passionate Christian living. The great apostle Paul says these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. Now that's some passion, isn't it? Christ who lives in me. Would you say that phrase with me? Christ who lives in me. If Jesus is living inside of me, that ought to help me out a little bit. Amen? Amen. Give me some passion. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, notice this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, the passion that I can exhibit in my Christian life is nothing compared to the passion exhibited by Jesus when he gave himself for me that I might be saved, healed, and delivered and have that great eternal life that we just sang about. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Again, the great apostle Paul writes these words. It is my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. Whatever happens, that's passion, isn't it? Even if it costs me my life, even if I die because of my Christian faith, I want my life to matter for the gospel. I expect that. That's, that's passion, isn't it? Say amen to that. That's passion. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is a gain. That's, that's keeping things in perspective. Every moment of my life on this earth is about Jesus, and when I die, Barbara's going to be singing, and another soldier's going home. And we're going to make our way up into heaven. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 2, 
It says, live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's passion, isn't it? That of all the things that are happening in life, my greatest passion, more than turkey, more than the ball game, more than my relationships with people, more than my job, my greatest passion is Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, today, in, in the all too few moments that we have, would you reinvigorate us with passionate Christian living that demonstrates our great hope in Jesus, that propels us forward towards eternal life. And Lord, may we be able to say with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is only a gain. And for that, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated if you would. So as we're talking about hope, this hope that we have in Christ, and how that hope impacts our life in all the different areas that we've talked about the last several weeks, today we're going to look at how that hope we have ought to encourage us, empower us, and motivate us towards passionate Christian living. That's really the theme for today, is passionate Christian living. And I want to take just a, a moment, and as we look at, at the first 11 chapter, uh, first 11 verses of 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to point out three areas that this passionate Christian living can impact us, and then through us, impact the world with the gospel. Notice, first of all, that, that, that we can be passionately living for Jesus. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Passionately live for Jesus. Now, now it's, it's one thing to, to be a believer, and I hope you are. It's, it's another thing to be an active believer in, in allowing your faith to impact your life, and, and that's good. But, but what we see in the Scripture over and over again is not just the fact that, that people are Christians, but that they are passionate Christians. I mean, they're all in with nothing held back and nothing left behind. And when we do that, first of all, we need to remember that Jesus paid the ultimate price in order for me to be saved or to be made right with God. Jesus paid that price. Remember we read a moment ago, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He lives in me. And it is Jesus who died that I might be made right with God. Notice again verse 1 here of 1 Peter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. This is a recurring theme throughout the New Testament, of course. It's a recurring theme throughout this letter that Peter is writing to the believers. To, that as they face the difficulties of the Christian faith there in the first century, as you and I face the difficulties brought about by the Christian faith, that, that as we do that, we'll remember and repeatedly remember that it is Christ who suffered and Christ who died for us in order that we might be saved. In fact, this whole, this whole scenario of Jesus going to the cross has been called uh, by theologians for, for generations the passion of the Christ. The passion of Jesus is the whole event of him going to the cross. And so, so the fact that Jesus went to the cross for us was, 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 was killed and buried and raised on the third day. That passion that he endured ought to become the passion of our lives in every area of our lives. So we need to remember that Jesus paid the ultimate price. This, of course, was foretold throughout the Old Testament. The people were looking for the Messiah who would come 
and bring deliverance. This, this story is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of the Gospels recount the, the story of Jesus dying on the cross. And when we get to the New Testament church and we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which I've shared with you several times, we find there in verses 3 and 4 that what's believed by many theologians to be the very first a statement of faith by the church and was probably recited every time the church gathered together. And it went something like this. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He died for our sins, for, for my sins, according to the Scriptures. And He was buried and was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so, so we need to be reminded repeatedly that Jesus paid the ultimate price, that you and I might have forgiveness and might have eternal life. And that is the source and the core and the motivation for any passion we have for living an impassioned Christian life for the world to see. We also need to, to, to be mindful to transfer our passion from me-focused to Jesus-focused. That's important. You see, we're all passionate about something. We, we all are passionate about something. And, 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 you know, how many of you right now, I want you to raise your hands and be proud, how many of you right now are passionate about leftover turkey, dressing, pie, and everything else? Raise your hand. Be proud. All right, be proud across the board. Some of you are saying, no more turkey. We're all passionate about something. It might be our family gathering over the holidays. We might be passionate about our job, our calling, the fulfillment we get from that. We might be passionate about a hobby that we're involved with. It might be a, a sewing circle. It might be a service organization. Something that, that you give yourself and passion uh, to, 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 to display uh, your, your sense of, of, uh, of passion there. It might be your favorite team. Now, Al, we're going to have to talk on Monday. I've told you before, it doesn't matter if Clay wears that red jacket and that state tie, you still have to call on him to pray. I know you're trying to get out of that. You can count on Clay Eaton wearing that blazer. You can count on Gary Massey wearing his tie. Mike Ross, where are you at? You got your sweater on today. Some people, in, I don't know why y'all get so worked up over athletics. But we're all passionate about something, aren't we? I heard, read a story about a man who was passionate about a flower called the Queen of the Night. Anybody ever heard of the Queen of the Night? It's a cactus flower. It's found in Texas and Arizona, and it resembles a dead bush. Anybody excited about that? There's a man in Texas that waits all year for the one night of the year when this dead bush-looking Queen of the Night blooms Beautifully, by the way. You see the picture on the screen there. It blooms beautifully, but, but this man waits all year long because he's so passionate about the queen of the night. We're all passionate about something, but that passion as believers needs to transfer from being me-focused to being Christ-focused. Notice verse 2 there of 1 Peter 4. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. There's this transfer of passion. And it doesn't say that we do away with our passion, but it is transferred from getting our ultimate source of fulfillment and pleasure from things outside of me to making sure that the thing that brings me the most source of fulfillment and pleasure is Christ in me. I'm living my life now for Christ. And, and if I could paraphrase verse 2, it would be something like this. I want to passionately live for Him for whatever time I have left on earth. 
He says, for, for the rest of the time in the flesh, the rest of my days on earth, whether they be many and for decades to come or whether they be few, like the Apostle Paul, I want to be able to say, for me to live is Christ. That's how passionate I am about Jesus. And to die is only a gain. Now, as a believer, I may still do many of the same things that I did before. And my passion may still be for these things, but now my greater passion is for Christ, and I'm going to bring that greater passion into the, the, the scenarios of my life. For example, I may still spend time with my family whom I'm passionate about, but I'm going to bring more passion for Christ as I'm with my family. I'm still going to enjoy my job and go to, the, go to the mill or the factory, the office, or drive the route every single day like I did before and love my job. But now my passion for Christ is going to be with me at my job. I'm still going to enjoy my hobby, the, the sewing circle, the reading club, the, 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 the service organization. I'm still going to, to go and give myself there. But now I'm going to, to, to bring the passion that I have for Jesus into my hobby. I'm still going to, to pull for my team. Some of you have a team these days. Some of us don't. But I'm still going to bring my passion about pulling for my team. But ultimately, the wins and losses on the field or on the court are far overshadowed by the passion inside of me for Jesus. Do you understand the difference that he's making here? I'm still going to do the same things, but, I, but I'm, I'm going to have this new passion. But now I'm going to also develop some new passions. There's now going to be some things I'm going to do because I'm a believer and because I'm passionate about Jesus that I wasn't doing before. For example, let me give you four real quickly, four new passions for believers. One is to pursue the will of God. Verse 2 mentions that. No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. I want to pursue that. I want that to be my aim every single day, whatever I'm doing. Lord, help me to pursue your will today in my life and for my life. And Lord, would you work through my life? And we're reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, all these other desires, all these other activities, all these other pursuits, all those things may be fine, but, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will find their right place in their right order of priority. Secondly, I'm going to have a new passion to pray. You know, studies after study after study shows the average Christian prays less than two minutes a day. And that includes three times of 30 seconds when you pray for your meal. <laughs> Christians aren't praying. And yet, as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're not only called, but we're given this wonderful platform, this wonderful opportunity to go before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, knowing He will hear me, and He will listen to me, and He will respond to me as I pray. I'm reminded of Colossians 4.2, which says, Devote yourself to prayer. Don't just pray and tack it on at the end of something, but devote yourself to prayer. Colossians 4.2. A third new passion is to study the Scriptures. Now, I'm, if you, I hope you brought your Bible with you today, and I hope you open it up to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going through it here uh, together. But, but I also hope you're taking it home with you, and you're doing more than putting it on the table to remember next Sunday when you pick it up and bring it to church. I hope you're opening it and reading it and, and, just, and just, just digesting it and thinking about it and praying through it and asking the Lord this question in prayer. Lord, what does this mean to me? What does this mean 
to me. Right now I'm reading through the book of Leviticus, one of the, the less exciting books of the Bible. And I've been reading through all God's instructions for the tabernacle and, the, and then the order of worship. And I'm, and I'm asking the question, Lord, what does this mean to me? And as I ask that question, He's unfolding to me. I'm, I'm seeing it with fresh eyes how my worship today is, is pictured in the worship that God gave the Israelites in the desert way back as they came out of Egypt. It's the same God and we worship Him in the same way. Lord, what does this mean to me? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Present yourself to God as one approved, rightly handling or rightly dividing the word of truth. Then a fourth passion as believers is church participation. I hope that your presence today means that you're participating in church. So you can check that off your list for today. And that's a good thing. But I hope far more than just church being something that you attend on a Sunday morning or a, a worship service that you endure in order to get through to, to, the, to the ball games on Sunday afternoon, or whatever the case may be, I hope that your participation in church, this church or whatever church God would lead you to or whoever God would lead here, I hope that church participation is a meaningful experience in your Christian walk, not just something that you check off the list. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, we're told, do not neglect to meet together but encourage one another. There's something about gathering together to worship that is an encouragement to me, an encouragement to you, as we meet together with God in worship. Four new passions. See, because Jesus died for me, I want to live passionately for Him. Passionately. Secondly, in speaking of our passion for, for Christ, uh, I want to passionately reach others passionately reach others. You are aware that, that we live in a world that, that more and more uh, is, is lost, more and more is separated from God, more and more needs the gospel. You agree with that, don't you? That people need the gospel. They need this wonderful message of Christ. And so verses 3 to 6 here in 1 Peter 4 talk about how we can passionately reach others. Let me give you a couple of, of things that we see here. First of all is, is we have to leave the old way of life behind. If I'm going to passionately follow Christ... There are some things I'll carry my passion into that I used to do before. There are some things I used to do before that I've got to get rid of. There's some things I've got to leave behind. Notice what he says here in verse number 3. For, that time, for the time that is past, the things that are behind me, I've already gone through this, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. My time for living in ungodliness is behind me, because now something more important, something better, something more valuable has become mine. So if I'm going to pursue that which is better, which is Jesus, there's some things in my life I've got to drop them behind me and no longer have in my life. Notice what he says here. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. You've done that enough is what... Peter is writing to these believers. And he's saying to them, that was your old life, and in your old life you were living as the Gentiles, the unbelievers, those who did not know or follow God. Now you know Jesus. And these things should no longer characterize your life. Now, now you may be sitting like, like I did. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never, well, we're in mixed company here. I've never been to one of those wild parties. I'm just going to tell you that. So check. I've, I've, never, I've, never, been, I've never been drunk in my life. Check. I'm doing pretty good. So I might have a tendency, you might have a tendency to say, well, that list doesn't really apply to me because 
I don't do those extreme things that are on that list. But I want you to notice the beginning part of that list. You see it there on the screen. The first two condemn all of us. Because the first one is sensuality. And we tend to think of sensuality as having a sexual context to it. And it really does. But there's also this sense of, of, of following our senses. I, I go where I want to go. I see what I want to see. I touch what I want to touch. I engage in whatever I want to engage in. Whatever makes me feel good. Whatever makes me happy. Because it's all about me. The very first thing on this list, which seems to be so innocuous, is the thing that really captures all of us as being guilty of sin. And that is living first and foremost for ourselves. So he's saying here, you've done enough of that. And now it's time to put that behind you and start living for Jesus. So you've got to leave the old ways behind. You also have to be prepared to lose some relationships. If we're going to live passionately for Jesus, there may be some people that we can't bring along with us in this new way of life that we have as believers. Notice in verse number 4, it's referring back to number 3 with all these things that the Gentiles do. And he says in verse 4, With respect to this, they, these Gentiles that, that engage in all these things, uh, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they're surprised that you're no longer doing the things that you used to be doing. They're, they're surprised when you come to them and in some way perhaps you say to them, Well, you know, we used to do these things together. But now something's changed. I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ. And I can't do those things anymore. I found something that's even better. And when we say those things, what a great opportunity to say, let me share with you how you too can come out of that into something that is so much better. And when we do that, notice what it says here in verse number 4. That they're going to be surprised that you don't join them anymore and they will malign you. That means they'll, they'll talk bad about you. That means they'll, they'll question you. It means they'll, they'll shun you. They'll, they'll ridicule you. You see, as a Christ follower, you and I no longer fit in with that kind of a, a crowd. We no longer fit in with those kinds of activities. And when we go to our, 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 our friends and those that we've run around with in that way, and we say to them, now I follow Jesus Christ, they may well be happy for you. They may come to a baptism. We've had baptisms in this place, and some of the folks that have come in and sat in the pews or out in the gym, they sat in the chairs, I have, I have noticed in my mind and thought to myself, they probably don't go to church every Sunday. Thank God they're here. Thank God they're here. So they may be happy for you. They may support you. There may even be some who will join you because they see the difference Christ has made in your life. But they may not like it. They may target you. They may talk about you. They may shun you. They may make fun of you. They may tear you down. They may call you names like Holy Roller. They may, may ask, who do you think you are now, all high and mighty and religious? Yeah, you're, you know, we know where you've been. We know what you've done. You're not fooling us with all this Jesus talk. These are things that people can say. They malign you. In fact, the devil himself gets in on it. There are, there are several places in the Bible that describe what he does and who he is, but one of them is in the Old Testament book of Zechariah chapter 3. And there we see that, that the devil reminding uh, uh, Joshua the priest of, of his sinful past. The picture there is Joshua the priest is standing in the presence of God and his garments are dirty, symbolizing the fact that he sinned. 
And there in the presence of God was Joshua the high priest dressed in, in dirty, sinful garments. And right beside of him, it says, is Satan to accuse him. He was in the presence of God accusing Joshua. And, and, and here's the thing about the devil. He doesn't have to make anything up. Now, he's a liar. He's a schemer. He's out to get us. But when he stands before God and with us in, in, in the presence of God and, and accuses us, he doesn't have to make anything up. Do you know where he's been, God? Do you know what she's done, God? Do you know all? He's just accusing left and right and left and right and left and right. So here's the high priest in Zechariah 3 just standing there. And the accusing is taking place. And it's all true. But there in Zechariah chapter 3, God finally, it doesn't say, I'll paraphrase this, Mark's interpretation. God finally just says, hey, shut up. <laughs> and you know what he did to, Zechariah, the, to Joshua the high priest? He gave him some new clothes. God gave him new, clean clothes because God forgives and God heals and God restores. And so when the devil reminds you and me of our past, in an accusing way. We just simply need to remind him of his future. Amen. See, I've been saved, and I want to passionately reach others. And if I'm going to passionately reach others, I first of all, I've, I've got to leave some old ways of life behind. I may have to leave some old relationships behind, and then I want to share the gospel. I want to share the gospel with friends. I want to share the gospel with, with acquaintances and with neighbors. And, and, and I want to share the gospel. Why? I want to share for two reasons. One is the judgment of sin is coming and all are guilty. Everybody's guilty. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All, every last one of us have sinned. Verse 5 says, They'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. God is going to judge. But a second reason is that salvation is possible. For those who believe. This is where, this is the good news that came my way. Because nobody had to convince me that I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. Nobody had to convince me. I've mentioned to you before that when I started attending church as a wild junior high boy, had never been in church before, the man in the red coat back there, Clay Heaton, was my junior high boy Sunday school teacher. And when I first started getting involved in, in youth activities and going to, to Sunday school and getting involved, one of the things I did was I went to camp. And I look out this morning, and my friend Ed Denton is sitting out there. Ed, stand up real quick, if you would. I want to put you on the spot. Ed, was at, at that time, was the youth pastor at, was it Plainview Baptist Church, Ed, here in Durham? He was the youth pastor at Plainview, so, so Ed's got stories that he better not ever tell on me from youth camp way back in the day. Ed since has gone on to have a career in Durham as a pastor. He's recently retired. Ed, it's a privilege to have you here with us today, my friend, and we're so glad uh, to have you here. See, they know these things on me, but that's why it's so beautiful to see the gospel. Verse 6, that's why the gospel was preached. This is why, even to those who are dead, those who are spiritually dead and have no hope for life, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, which is in sin, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Let me give you this morning, very briefly, three ways to share. Three ways to share the gospel. One is, I mentioned this last week, have your three-sentence testimony ready to share. Three sentences. My life before Christ how I became a believer, the life change that's come since then. And be ready to share that at any time. Secondly, invite somebody to church. It might be a connect group. It might be a ladies' breakfast next Saturday morning. It might be 
uh, laughter and latte. It might be the Awana program. It might be anything that we're doing. Invite somebody. And like you see on the screen there, use, your, use these new invite cards that we've got. Just to tell somebody that the, the information's on the back, but, but just to grab some invite cards from the Breezeway or the Welcome Center and, and just keep them in your wallet and be ready to invite somebody uh, anytime that, 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 you are, uh, that you're there. And thirdly, I want you to use social media. You know, you know what social media is, right? So if you have your, your cell phone today, pull it out real quick and hold it up. Let me see. You got your cell phone. Anybody got your cell phone? Okay. All right. If you got Facebook on your cell phone, I want, I want to give you a, an opportunity to, uh, to do something. So, so pull up Facebook on your cell phone. Would you do that? I've got mine pulled up. And, uh, and go to your page and uh, on your Facebook page. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just bear with me because we're talking about reaching people. This is one way. Go to your Facebook page. And then go to your status, and when you get to your status, type, uh, hit the button that says status, and then look down there, there's a red teardrop that says check in. And if you hit that red teardrop that says check in, a whole bunch of things will pop up on your screen. One of them will say Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Here's what you do. If you push Ridgecrest Baptist Church, then on your Facebook page, here's what it's going to say. Your name, checked in at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. You might think, so what? What's, so, what, what's such a big deal about that? Well, here's, here's, a, here's a big deal about that. Uh, if you were Walter Finnegan, one of our church members, he attends a 1045 service with his family. Uh, he wrote me this post last week. You see it there on the screen. He says, every week I've posted my check-in Sunday morning. This week I attached the invite card, the green one, and he said, you'll see the response below. Now flip to the next, the next screen there, and one more. Pass that, if you would, the next one there. This, this is a guy named Santos Seal. I have no idea who this guy is. But he saw on Walter's page that Walter checked in at Ridgecrest Baptist Church with a green card that said, you're invited. And he said, I'm planning to move to North Carolina in a few years. I hope to visit your church then. Now, that might be the longest distance response to I'll see you at church. You know, most people say, well, I'll try to get there next week or next month. This guy's saying, I'll see you in a few years. But all Walter did was say, hey, I'm at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. You're invited. You see what a difference it can make? Social media can make such a big difference. Something else you can do on your phone is to take and go to the, the uh, on Facebook, just type in Ridgecrest Baptist Durham on, on where you want to go on Facebook. Ridgecrest Baptist Durham. And when you do that, you'll come up with, uh, let me find it here because I don't know how to operate my phone most of the time. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. All right, so go, go to uh, Ridgecrest Baptist Durham. And you scroll down, and you'll find this, this graphic that we've put together. Put that on the screen for me, if you would. A graphic we've put together, Christmas at Ridgecrest Baptist Durham. And you see all in the box here all the things that are coming up. And at the bottom, you don't see it on the screen here, but on, the, on Facebook, you see the website is listed there. And so if you'll go to that place on Ridgecrest Baptist Durham and find that, that graphic and hit share, it will go to your Facebook page. And you may say, well, big deal. What's the big deal about that? Well, I did this yesterday at noon, and I wanted to introduce it today. But I checked at 5 o'clock this morning when I was looking on Facebook to, for sermon preparation. When I, when I was looking on there, I saw that it, this has already been shared 19 times, and over 700 people have already seen it since yesterday at noon. Seven, this is 700 invites of people seeing this, and all we have to do is hit a little button. Now, all of these are ways to share the gospel in the day and the time in which we live. Our testimony, a card, a personal invitation, and using social media. I hope you'll plan 
to do that. I've got, I'm, way too, I'm just way late today. It's just, it's just it's, I'm sorry for, for this, but uh, uh, I've got to wrap up all too fast. The third area of life that we ought to be passionate about, and that is we ought to passionately serve the Lord. Serve the Lord passionately. Notice what he says here in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. There was a belief in the first century that Jesus was going to come back at any moment. Well, he didn't. He didn't come back in the first, the second, the third, the fourth century, and he still hasn't come back. One day he's coming back, and I, would, I pray that we would get the same sense of urgency in the 21st century that the first century Christians had about the fact that any time Jesus can come back, therefore, let's make sure we're living passionately for him. And there's three actions that are listed here that I'm going to be, be all too brief with uh, in verses 7 through 11. One is, it ought to lead us to pray. It ought to lead us to pray. More than two minutes a day, more than 30 seconds at a meal, but devote ourselves to prayer, as it says in Colossians 4.2. It says in verse 7, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayer, for the sake of your praying. Make sure that, that, that you're living a passionate Christian life. I, I wrote this down, and I want to remember it, and I wrote it down like this. Passionate Christian living enables powerful Christian prayer. Powerful Christian prayer enables passionate Christian living. It's just like a circle that goes around and around. The Lord just impressed that upon my heart. Secondly, love each other. If we're going to serve the Lord, we've got to love each other. If we're not loving each other, we're not serving the Lord. And if we're not loving each other, we're never going to reach the people outside the walls of this church. You agree with that this morning? Notice in verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly or passionately since, notice this, love covers a multitude of sins. When you love each other, the forgiveness flows. The relationship is built. The warmth is there. I hope and pray every time you walk in the doors of this church facility that the warmth and the friendship and the relationship is so strong that the love covers a multitude of sins and that we might truly love one another. Thirdly is serve. we got to serve. Notice verse 10. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Serve. Verse 11 talks about two types of serving. Whoever speaks, whoever preaches, whoever teaches, whoever gets up in front of a group of, of a thousand, a hundred, ten, or two. When you speak, realize you're speaking the oracles of God. This is the word of God that I am sharing with you. And then whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, recognizing that the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve God. It really is all about Jesus. And when I determine to passionately live for Christ, it's going to make such an impact on my life that it will be for the glory of Jesus. I want you to listen to the words of verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ... To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that in everything, everything is about the glory of Jesus. Not about me. Not about you. Not about my wants. Not about your wants. All about what, 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 what can we do to glorify Jesus together? What song can we sing? What message can we preach? What schedule can we keep? What pro programs can we provide? What money can we give? What community outreach can we do so that we can lift up and glorify the name of Jesus? That's what it's all about. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing. And as we sing, I want it to be your opportunity to do something.
about the message that you've heard today. I hope that you have heard and felt the passion from the Scripture. I hope you've heard and felt the passion that I hope I exhibit, not just in this message, but every single day of my life. That's my goal. And I hope and pray that we will each determine right where we are, or even to come forward and, and have someone talk and pray with you, that we're going to take our next step of passionate Christian living, whatever it may be. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, because of the hope that I have and that we have in Jesus, help us to live for you in such passionate ways that we're never the same and that people see the difference Jesus makes and that they want the very Jesus that we exhibit passionately every single day of our lives. Help us to, to passionately live for Christ, to passionately reach others for Christ, to passionately love and to serve and to give ourselves to you, Lord, wholeheartedly and not half-heartedly. Lord, right now in the quietness of this moment, impress upon each of us what our next steps are. Lord, undoubtedly there's somebody here that's never trusted Christ. They don't know that passion. I pray that today, even right where they are, they would just cry out in faith, Lord Jesus, I want what your word talks about today. I want that passion in my heart. I trust Jesus as my Savior. I turn from my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me, was buried and raised on the third day, and I invite you into my life to live and to take me to heaven one day. Lord, I know there's some in this room today that have been believers for so long, and their Christian walk has gotten so dry and so stale and so dusty. I pray, Lord, that today they could be determined to be reinvigorated with the passion of walking after Christ and following after you in such a way, Lord, that they can rediscover the joy and the passion that comes from following after you. And, Lord, as a result, that their lives would be invigorated for Christ and that our, our church and community and their families and, and, and all the folks around us can be impacted with the gospel yet again. Lord, we ask the impossible but, Lord, you're in the impossible doing business. And so, Lord, we pray today. We pray, Lord, we ask. We, we ask even in desperation. Lord, visit us. Be in our midst. Draw us to yourself. Lead us to take whatever steps necessary to bring glory to Jesus, our Savior. As we pray in that precious name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.